Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Remember the prodigal son? When he came to his senses... He came home to dad. How did he come to his senses? The Spirit of God came to him. He began to think, what am I doing? This was crazy. So, again, if you're here, you think, well, I think I'm an apostate. I'm really worried about it. Relax. You're not an apostate if you're worried about it. It's fine. Repent, come back to God, get restored, and let's go on with Jesus Christ. Amen? It's hard to imagine the amount of pressure the believers talked about in the book of Hebrews. Their friends were being taken, tortured, and killed. Their family members had rejected them. It's only natural that they'd think about chucking this old Jesus thing to go back to a normal life. But Pastor Mark will be teaching about what they would be giving up. He'll be using that word better again, talking about why giving up on Jesus is the worst short and long-term mistake you can make. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 10 as he continues his message, Don't Go Back, Stand Firm. and I, if we're in a walk with God, you can't ignore the Holy Spirit when you sin. Because you're going to feel terrible. He's going to convict us, as he does all of us. And we know, after we try to make an excuse to him, and that doesn't work, we know it's not going to work anyway, we admit it, we get forgiven, and we're clean again. And we feel good. When we don't do that, that's when this process comes. This Just by step six, you can just write the hardening of the heart. That's what begins. See, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. And then last, you get to the place where the person simply denies the word, denies Jesus, and denies the faith. They don't want anything to do with it anymore. It didn't start there. You don't move from step one to step seven. And by the way, these are just my steps, but I think they go through perfectly in the book of Hebrews as we've been talking about. So keep those around, not because you're going to do that, but just to see if you see yourself in one of those areas. And that's why I think chapter 11 is so powerful because it's going to be on faith, not doubting the word. And you'll see how important faith is we go through. Look back at verse 27. What results when this happens? Only a fearful expectation of judgment of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Since there's no forgiveness, the only thing left is judgment. If there's no forgiveness. 
Verse 28. So then he goes to kind of an Old Testament passage to give us uh, an idea what judgment for sin was like in the Old Testament. Verse 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Paul says in the Old Testament, when people rejected the law, which is the lesser than the New Testament, remember, lesser and greater, when they did that, if they abandoned the faith, they died if there was two or three witnesses that could collaborate that they did that. They were killed. Let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let me read it to you. When you begin living in the towns the Lord your God has given you, A man or woman among you might do evil in the sight of the Lord your God and violate the covenant. For instance, they might serve other gods or worship the sun, the moon, any of the stars, the forces of heaven, which I have strictly forbidden. When you hear about it, investigate the matter thoroughly. If it is true that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then the man or woman who has committed such an evil act must be taken to the gates of town and stoned to death. But never put a person to death on the testimony of only one witness. There must be two or three witnesses. The witnesses themselves must throw the first stones, and then all the other people may join in. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. Well, that helped, didn't it? Would that help here? That would help. Did it cure? No, it didn't cure. Why? Because the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Can you imagine taking the stone, being the first person throwing the stone at the person who has bowed down to idols and you're going to kill them outside the city gates? It would cause you the next time to what? Think pretty seriously about what you did. So in the Old Testament, if that's what was done, what about the New Testament? That was done to the law. Look at 29. How much more severely... Do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Paul says, can you imagine the punishment for an apostate of the New Testament covenant that was based on Jesus Christ? The person will suffer even a worse punishment because he has treated the Son of God with scorn, regarded the blood as just common, and insulted the Holy Spirit. Ken Hughes has a different statement. He says, this is an attack by the unbeliever, the apostate, on the person of Christ, on the work of Christ, and on the Spirit of Christ, who is the Holy Spirit. He's trampled the Son of God underfoot. He denies he has any need for Christ. That's exactly what we've heard Ted Turner say. Then he counts the blood of the covenant, blood of Jesus Christ, as common. The blood of Christ, yeah, he shed his blood. So did the guy next to him on the cross. And so did the guy on the other side. Big deal. So it's common. It's not common because the blood of Jesus Christ was from a sinless man. Very different. And three, he has insulted the spirit of grace. The spirit of God has illuminated him, convicted him of his sin, showed him that Christ was the only one. As you know, the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ, convicts us of our sin, 
And this person says, I'm not interested. Now, God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to forgiveness. But if you reject the gracious warnings of the Holy Spirit, then eventually one person becomes this apostate. Now, verse 30. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's a tough statement, isn't it? You see, we don't understand the enormous sin that caused Christ to go to the cross. We overlook our sin. We take sin fairly lightly. And what this is saying is, don't you judge Ted Turner. I'm not going to judge Ted Turner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If I'm not careful, I can still start those seven steps and go pretty close to being a crazy idiot myself, just like anybody else. If you've been in Christianity a long time, you've found people, maybe not take those seven steps exactly, but you saw people that you used to worship with who now absolutely deny anything to do with Jesus Christ. And we're shocked because we knew those people. In our mind, we're going, that's impossible. No, it isn't impossible. They did it. And so what this simply says is, God is the one who's just. God is the one who will always have the last words. And as we're moving through that, understand this statement. Judgment belongs only to God. Now look at these two verses talking about revenge. It's good for you and I to understand that God is the one that makes all things right. You and I rarely can make all things right. We just saw the young hiker with her dog and beautiful young ladies, athletic and whatever, and now we see the man who led her to her body. If you're there, if you're the father, man, I mean, this is a tough verse to do, isn't it? Because you'd like to take a gun right out and just shoot the guy right through the head and just forget it. But eventually, we have to leave that to our government. And then second, we leave it to a just God. And so when we're wronged, we want to make things right. And I've learned by the school of hard knocks, like most of us have, that revenge never works. You leave it to God. If you're ever going to be in the ministry and work in a church, any kind of position, you'll be hurt. If you try to get revenge at people that misuse you or misunderstand you or whatever, forget it. You'll be bitter and angry. You'll be out of the ministry before long. You just have to let that roll off. Give it to God. He'll take care of it. Notice these verses, Deuteronomy. It is mine to revenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. The day of the disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. The Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left slave or free. New Testament, Romans twelve nineteen. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will replay, says the Lord. So you don't want to become this legalist person. When I read about Ted Turner, I'm not saying Ted Turner is true. Because you'll understand what I'm going to say in a moment. I believe an apostate can change right up to his dying breath. He can be wrong all those years. Of course, he'll have to pay for much of that. 
but he can certainly change. Now, lasting judgment by the world is laughed at. Notice what it says. It's a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Just before that, we read about the fire. Did you see that? Verse 27. A fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire. People just laugh at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell, right, whatever. Just turn to Matthew 13. I want to take you through some of these. Not that we're, again, we're not hell and fire brimstone teachers at all. But we try to teach the Bible in balance. And you're going to see that Jesus spoke often about this judgment where man is separated from God forever. And it's a warning that it's a real place. And it's a place that should cause us to have compassion on the laws. Matthew 13, verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Turn to chapter 18. Now remember, this is Jesus, kind, gentle Jesus, teaching truth. Matthew 18, verse 8. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. By the way, if you're new, you've never been here before, before you do anything, get the teaching on this. Otherwise, you'll be walking out of here with no hands, no arms, and you can't see when you leave. That's not going to solve your sin problem. Remember the illustration we use? Because sin, or even lust, resides where? In the heart, in the mind. Okay, So you can't do physically to get rid of it. And then chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 13. Again, Jesus. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not Paul, Peter, another apostle, James. This is Jesus who understands what it's going to be like. And let me read you Luke twelve five. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now what does that fear mean? doesn't mean to fear God like we think, fearful, I'm afraid of going to hell. No, because what have we been studying in the book of Hebrews? Approach the throne of grace, what? Boldly. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. Reverential fear. And that's really a little bit of what we'll talk about this weekend. I'm going to stand as a Christian, you are too, every one of us individually, at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to give an account for the use of my time and my talents and my money and my motives and all of those things. I'm going to give an account. I don't think it's going to be a sad day for most of us. I mean, God knows we're not perfect. He understands that. So I think it's going to be a glorious day. But I want to hear him say, well done, good faithful servant. And he will to many of us. But we are going to stand there. So this fear is just understanding that there is a judgment coming. 
And I should respect the Lord. One of the things we have trouble with in church today is there's very little fear of God. Even in the world, there's zero fear of God, really. And in our churches, there's very little. Charles Spurgeon said this, Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. Think little of the sufferings of the lost souls, and you will soon think little of the Savior who delivers them. So, salvation is huge. Sinning is huge. Heaven and hell, that's the end result. And that's such an impact on our lives. Now, before we turn back to Matthew, turn with me to 1 Timothy, toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4. With all of this, let me remind you that we are in the latter days, and that should have an influence on us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith, become apostates, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So Paul tells us that some real followers of Christ will just choose in the end times to abandon. They'll deliberately walk away from God. When you walk away from God and Jesus, how are you going to get your sins forgiven? You've walked away from the only one that can forgive you. So I believe that that's going to happen. I believe it does happen today. But I believe that a person decides by willful choice, if they change before they die, they can absolutely be forgiven. If not, then God will simply say to them, you've chosen to abandon me. I've come back to you time and again through the Spirit, through conviction, through the Word, through another friend, through things that came back to your memory of what you knew as a child. You've abandoned them. You don't want to change. So be it. They will be judged and separated from God forever. But again, no one can go through those seven steps or any part of those steps without the constant love and the constant conviction of the Holy Spirit. He is always there working on us, working toward us. Now, what is hard for us is when we see people, i.e. the prodigal son, headed in that direction. And it's hard for us when we see our children head that direction. It's hard for us when we see our friends that are Christians and all of a sudden they're not too interested in the things of God and they begin to move that. It's really hard for us. So what we do is you pray for them. Talking rarely will do much. You pray. Intercede. Because the Holy Spirit has not forgotten them. Where can I go from your spirit? You can't. And remember the prodigal son? When he came to his senses, he came home to dad. How did he come to his senses? The Spirit of God came to him. He began to think, what am I doing? This was crazy. So, again, if you're here, you think, well, I think I'm an apostate. I'm really worried about it. Relax. You're not an apostate if you're worried about it. It's fine. Repent, come back to God, get restored, and let's go on with Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, does Paul think when he's writing to these people 
that they're going to become apostates? No. Do I think, when I teach to you, that you're going to become apostates? No. Well, why does Paul do it? Just to do one thing. To warn them. Lovingly warn them. And that's all he's going to do. So you're going to see now, Paul's going to say, Hey, hang on. I don't expect you to give up. I've never expected you to give up. But I want to warn you. Because I know how Satan works. So look at Hebrews 10, back to verse 32. And I'm going to give you three major keys as we go through this quickly. And these are really good for us. There's so much stuff here. First thing Paul says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. First thing I want you to write is this. Remember what God has done in the past. So he says, when you get to these difficult times, and you're thinking of just giving up on God because circumstances are really, really, really difficult, he says, just stop for a moment. Remember the joys of the day when you first learned about Christ. Notice, remember the early days when you had received the light. So just stop for a moment. Maybe some of you have been saved two weeks. Some of you have been saved, I've been saved 55, 60 years almost now. Think back. That's hard for me. That's a long time ago. But I can vaguely remember walking up. We had an apartment. My dad was a pastor. We had an apartment. I can remember my mom and dad coming into my bedroom. I was five. And I said to mom and dad after a service, I want to accept Jesus Christ into my heart. It took. Did I understand everything I'm teaching? No. And I continue to want to understand more. But I knew this. I was a sinner and I needed Jesus Christ. So you can't come to Christ unless you admit you're a sinner. Now, I hadn't been a murderer, axe murderer at five, whatever. May have thought about it. Not in those days, right? In the 40s, not a chance. You know, Mickey Mouse was the big deal. But I knew I was wrong. And I asked Christ to come into my heart. You remember back at the joy of the Lord when he changed you? It was wonderful, wasn't it? If you're an altar counselor, it's wonderful to see these people crying and saying, you mean I can actually start again? Yep. You mean it can all be wiped out and you can start again? Yep. Woo, that's great. Best news in the world. So it's amazing when you and I look back, the peace, the joy, the purpose. Then, like all unbelievers, notice what it says. You receive the light. One of the beautiful things about that is, as I'm a follower now, and I think back, and I look at my life in all the rough times I've had, and all the good times I've had, God's always been there. And that's what Paul is saying to these people. Now, do you think Paul could write a story? He did. Many times he talked about his life, and he would think back at the faithfulness of God. Today, Pastor Mark taught more about the steps someone takes when they fall away from God. You heard that it's almost never a sudden process, but a gradual one. You found out the best way to deal with someone you know that's going down this dangerous road. You learned more about God's final judgment and the need to keep yourself in line with God. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. 
you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will finish this message, Don't Go Back, Stand Firm. He'll be trying to convey to you the seriousness of sin and how you should take it as serious as God does. You'll hear about God's love for you and how he designed you to be a social person. Pastor Mark will teach about the importance of getting together with other Christ followers. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. in a hurry.